morning, Life Church. What a joy to see you here in Germantown and Appleton and Brookfield and Milwaukee. Yeah. And a shout out to my friends, to Dylan and Tori Johnston there in Brookfield. What a joy to see all of you this morning. Truly, truly wonderful. First things first, I want to do what is called my lung power test. Okay. Somebody give it up for Jesus. Somebody make some noise for Jesus. You know what? You know what? That was pretty good, but not quite good enough. I know the people of the great state of Wisconsin. Listen, when that team, what is it called? The Green Green Bay Packers, you know, are getting ready to win the Super Bowl facing the Minnesota Vikings. All right. And imagine with me, the scores are tied. Imagine with me, it's the last few seconds of the game. And imagine with me, the last few seconds of the game, one of your guys gets an ugly pigskin ball, deflated or inflated. It doesn't matter, but I'm not going there. And the last few seconds of the game, he tosses that ball to the other guy. The other guy grabs it, runs across the line, scores the winning TD, and everybody in Germantown goes, good job. (laughs) Is that what you would do? Talk to me, somebody. Listen, I've got five better reasons to shout. Jesus saved me, washed me, filled me the Holy Ghost, note my name and life, look of life, and he's coming back for me. That's five good reasons to clap your hands. All ye people, shout unto the God with a voice of triumph. Now somebody shout hallelujah. That, that my friend is so much better. Yeah, let's blow this roof off and we'll have Pastor Aaron Cole fix it. <laughs> Amen. Talking about Pastor Aaron and Tammy, I tell you, I want to say thank you to them for their love, kindness, and hospitality, and the privilege of being here this morning. You know, beyond question, in the coals, you have one of the finest pastors, not just in Wisconsin, but in the General Council of the Assemblies of God in the United States of America. Come on. Come on. Let's hear it for them. That's right, a couple who loves God, who loves people, who loves souls, who loves missions, who loves the word, and I don't know about you, I would like to be under the ministry of a man of God like that, amen? Wow, yes, one more hand of applause, well, one more big round of applause. I'm so glad we have a missions emphasis service today in December, you know why? To me, Christmas is John 1:14. The Word became flesh and dwell among us, and that's the and we beheld His glory, the glory full of grace and truth. Wow! The hope of all ages was born in Bethlehem, and now we look for the blessed hope. But first things first. Again, I want to introduce myself. My name is Solomon Wang. Put that picture up again, please. Uh, yeah, the, my name is Solomon Wang, pronounced as Wong. It's W-A-N-G, pronounced as W-O-N-G. And if you say Wang, that really would be Wong. All right? (laughs) Go ahead, you can laugh. It's cheesy, I know. But this is Wisconsin. You have a lot of cheese, yeah. So go ahead. And uh, my father's from Shanghai, China, not that you can tell. My mother's from this land called Bhutan. My wife, I was born and raised in Calcutta, India, raised by missionaries Mark and Hulda Bantain. I believe Hulda spoke here some time ago, and I was raised in their orphanage in Calcutta. My wife was born and raised in this place you'd never guess in a zillion years, Kearney, Nebraska. Go Big Red! 
That's about the only thing we have in Nebraska other than corn and Warren Buffett. Thank you very much. That's our call to fame. Her father has Irish, Scottish, British descent. Her mother has Norwegian, Hungarian, Scandinavian descent. And take a good look at my family. There are Heinz 57, Toss Fruit Salad, Mini United Nations. That's my family. And that dude in that corner is not an adopted kid. He's my son-in-law who married Julia on the left. And this young lady in the front is Jessica. She's having a special destination wedding, 2 22 and the young man in the corner there is my middle son. He's single, he's saved, and he's available. All right? If you know somebody who has $100 million in the bank, five Rolls Royces, 10 Mercedes, come see me. I'd love to introduce you to my son. Laurie, don't you dare say anything to him. I'd be in big trouble. Yeah, but here's what I'm saying. Sometimes Solomon Wong gets into trouble with his wife, as we men do. Guys, now you're in God's house. Be honest with me. How many of you men get into trouble with your wife now and then, especially with the honey-do list? Let me see your hands. Thank you all, 15 of you. Yeah, and in those moments when I get into trouble with my gorgeous wife, my beautiful wife says, Solomon Wong, you married the white woman, and I married the Wong man. So this morning, you have the Wong speaker. Is that all right? You have the Wong preacher. Is that all right? Yeah. Oh, I've learned after 36 years of marriage, two Wongs still don't make a white. But enough of that. You can be tried. Yeah. So that's the large version of my family. Here's the we version of my family. That's right. The we version of my family. Yeah, my wife and I have had the joy and privilege of doing overseas work for 30 out of our 36 years of marriage, and then first in Calcutta, Ukraine, and Bhutan, and then we uh, said goodbye to Bhutan, and then we joined Convoy of Hope as Feed One Vice President. And so today, I want to ask you, why support the greater program? Why support this vision of kingdom builders and this vision builders? Why do this outreach? And I've come here to tell you what I've seen and what I've heard. There's no question we are living in turbulent times, tumultuous times, tempestuous times. My heart broke when I saw that car plummeting through that, that, that street here in Wisconsin. And oh my goodness, I just, my heart was in my mouth when I saw that footage. But this morning, I'm not here to dwell on the negative. I'm here to dwell on the positive. I've come here to tell you what God can do through you and through the missions program of this church and through the greater offering. I'm not going to talk about poverty, pollution, paganism, hedonism, idolatry. That's all what that serpent, the devil can do. The devil is a killer of joy, but my Jesus is a giver of joy. Amen? And he said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So very quickly, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts, please. Chapter number four. I'm not going to preach to you because you have a fine, fine pastor preacher who gives you the word of God. And, but I want you to just turn it as a path forward to where we are going today. And the book that you call the Bible, that you hold in your hand, does not contain the word. It is the word. It is the word of God. It's the infallible, inerrant, inspired, immutable word of the living God. But they say a text without a context is a pretext. So very quickly, this chapter number four 
Let me set the context. In the previous chapter, Peter and John were going to the temple to pray in this gate called Beautiful. The man who was there was crippled. He was begging for alms. He was there from, he had been crippled from his very birth. And this crippled man had to be carried there every day to the gate called Beautiful. And then he would be begging for alms. As he saw Peter and John, I'm sure the crippled man very quickly said, reached out and said, please, alms for the poor. Give me some alms. Help me. If you don't help me, I'll starve. If you don't help me, give me some arms, I'll, I'll starve. So talk to me, somebody. What did Peter and John say? Go see Tammy Cole. <laughs> Is that what they said? Go see the Salvation Army, the Red Cross. No. Talk to me, somebody. What did he say? That's right. Silver and gold I have none, but such as I have gift I to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he said, rise up and walk. And what happened? There was walking and leaping and praising God. There was walking and leaping and praising God. That man had been begging for arms. He got legs. Some of you didn't get that. It'll come. I promise you. The light bulb will come. So let's turn very quickly to where, this is where we pick up the story. In Acts chapter 4, verse 5 to 7, the next day the elders, the rulers, and the teachers of the law came over to Jerusalem, and as the high priest was there, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, they had Peter and John brought before them, then began to question them, by what power or by what name have you done this? Peter very boldly answers, you know this in the name of Jesus whom you crucified. Salvation is found under no other name. There is none other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. So life church, listen to me. Why do a greater offering? Why do missions? Why do this kingdom builder's offering? Because number one, there is no salvation in any other name but the mighty name of Jesus. Are you listening to me? It's not Jesus and Buddha. It's not Jesus and Confucius. It's not Jesus Christ and Krishna or Rama or Muhammad or good works or some pious external works. And there's only one way we're going to be airborne from the planet earth to the portals of heaven and that is through the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. There's only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Listen to me and listen to me well. My Jesus is not a God. He's not a way. He's not a truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. But no man can come to the Father but by me. Somebody say amen. Oh, pastor, I wish I had uh, this opportunity. I would charter an Airbus A380 and a Boeing 747 right here from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I would take your people to my country of India. I wish I could take them all. I would show them many things, but one of the things I would show them is the Ganges River. Oh my goodness. The, Hindu, the, the people of my country actually believe that it comes from the head of the god Shiva. Anyone can tell you it comes on the Gangotri glaciers in the Himalayan mountains. And if you go at certain season, you'll see millions of them pushing their way to get into that river because they believe if you dip yourself in that river several times, it would cleanse you of all your sins. And at certain season, you literally see them pushing their way to get into the water. A lot of them are killed in the stampede. A lot of them are swept away by the current. A lot of them die of pneumonia in the icy cold waters. Some of them catch tropical disease. You know why? Because they throw carcasses of dead animals into that river. They throw cremated ashes of loved ones into that river. Women wash their clothes in that river. Children use it the restroom and now recently with the COVID-19 thousands have died. How do you social distance in those cold and 
was to strong current waters. And they actually believe if they immerse themselves, that they dip themselves in that river, it would cleanse them of their sins. But as a Christian, beloved, I tell you this. I ask you that rhetorical question. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I have to remind you that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood will lose all their guilty stains. Let me remind you, Life Church, the blood has never lost its power. It still reaches to the highest mountain. It still flows to the lowest valley. Oh, the blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never, 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 never lose its power. Somebody thank Jesus for the blood. Come on. That's right. We do kingdom builders and greater because there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Secondly, verse number 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When you're with Jesus, you're not the same again. Your life takes on a new meaning. Everyone in the Bible who met God had an encounter with God, their lives were never the same again. Moses, the woman caught in the act of adultery, the Samaritan woman, blind Bartimaeus, woman with an issue of blood, Nicodemus, the 10 lepers, the thief on the cross. What happened? They had all been with Jesus. And we need to introduce people to Jesus. Oh, I wish, Pastor, I had time. I could tell you hundreds and hundreds of stories of Lives who were transformed because of the blood and because of the name of Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. Why do we do kingdom builders and vision builders and greater? Because number three, verse number 16, everyone, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem know they performed a notable miracle and a sign and we cannot deny it. Let me tell you, remind you, beloved, with God, there's no such thing as fluke. There's no such thing as accident or coincidence. There's no rationalization. In him we live and move and have our being. It's Christ and me, the hope of glory. And these people said, what are we going to do? We cannot deny it. There is no denial. In one of our orphanages in Calcutta, India, our the lady warden was doing a devotion and one of the little girls in that orphanage was Soma, five-year-old, completely crippled, never walked, always crawled in her hands and knees, five years old, never walked. And God began to talk to our warden and said, pray for her. And she was like, what if nothing happens? She said, if nothing happens, nothing happens. My job is to pray. It's his job to do the miracles. So he, she began, she, she led in a simple prayer. What happened? Nothing happened. But that night at three in the morning, they heard some pitter patter in the kitchen area. So they went out to see what was happening. And that little five-year-old girl, Soma, who'd never walked in her life, was not walking around. She was running around. I brought her to church and I said, come to me, Soma. And I knelt down like this. She came running and bulldozed me right through. And my hands and feet went up in the air. It was so beautiful because there is no denial that there's a power in the name of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. 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 And very quickly, verse number, number 18, I love this verse. But to stop this from spreading anything further, they commanded them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John replied, what is right in the sight of God? You be the judge. As for me, we cannot help but talk about what we've seen and what we've heard. 
You know, it's like a scene in court. The bailiff calls for the witness to come to the stand. And what does the witness do? You see the lawyers and attorneys doing their job. The jury is sitting there tentatively taking notes. A judge with a big gavel. Objection overruled. Objection sustained. But what does a witness do? A witness says, I promise to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And I've come to Wisconsin as a witness to tell you what I've seen and what I've heard. What have you seen, Solomon? What have you heard, Solomon? Well, I'm glad you asked the question because here is the answer. These last eight years, Laurie and I have been in this one of the most restricted, sensitive, and close countries in the world. We were the first personnel in the Assemblies of God to live in that country for almost eight years. It was amazing. And in that eight years' time, we saw the first Bhutanese Zonka New Testament printed in the land in the, for the first time in history. We had an evangelism by flash. We put the Jesus movie in Zonka, English, and Nepali and gave it to thousands of students around the country. We saw seven new underground churches planted. Lori personally trained over 200 workers for the glory of God. I had the personal joy of baptizing 63 people in the icy cold waters. In 2019, God gave us a new vision, said, hey, we cannot do evangelism evangelism openly, so what we did was we had a winter youth camp. We took 800 young people to the town of Siliguri in the border of India and Bhutan, and we for three days loved on them, gave them Bible studies, power-packed messages every night. Do you know how many got saved? Remember, there were 800 people. All 800 got saved, yes. And last year, because of the paucity of funds, we couldn't take so many, so we only took 400. And last year, do you know how many came forward to give their hearts to Jesus? All 400 in one of the most restricted, sensitive, and closed countries in the world. They did not walk to the altars. They ran to the altars. Go ahead, show them that. Look at that. As close as possible to the altars. Come on, make room for them. That's right. Amen. Amen. That's right. That's right. Come on. Come on. Right. Amen. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Hallelujah. You're saying, God, thou God seest me an inward vision, an upward vision, an outward vision. Amen. We're going to sing it. Don't just sit there. Come on. Give the Lord a mighty praise. It happens because of people like you. It happens because of kingdom builders, because of offerings like greater. That's what I've seen, and that's why I've heard. And people like you have prayed and given for ministries like this, and that's how it happens. I'll never forget. One of my friends, a pastor in New Delhi, God spoke to him and said, start a new church in New Delhi. New Delhi? Do you realize how expensive that place is? You will not get land. It's the capital city of India, 1.2 billion people. You're not going to get a piece of property anywhere. And there, there is no money. The property is more expensive than San Francisco, Hong Kong, and Tokyo put together. He said, God spoke to me. I'm going to go start a church. Then he found this piece of property in the outskirts of New Delhi. Outskirts of New Delhi. How are the people going to traipse right through the city with all the traffic and the pollution and congestion? Nobody's going to come to your church. Nobody. Strike one. Then they found out that this property was on the top of a hill. Top of a hill? How are people going to climb to the top of the hill? The senior citizens don't have car. They cannot walk up. Who? Nobody's going to come to your church. Strike two. Then they found to go to the church, you have to pass by a temple for the Hindu god Hanuman. India has 330 million gods and goddesses, and one of their chief gods is Hanuman, who is half monkey and half human. 
There's another God called Ganesh. He is half elephant and half human. Aren't you glad your Jesus and mine is fully God and fully man? None of this half and half stuff. That half and half stuff is reserved for coffee. Yeah, amen. As man, he knows your needs. And as God, he's able to do something about it. Oh, but you have to pass the temple and to God. Nobody's going to come to your church. He started that church, Tammy. That church is booming. It is booming. They don't have equipment like you. They don't even have seats. Everybody sits on the floor. Oh my goodness, that church is booming. You know how? I love it. 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 You know how that church is growing? The Hindus go to the Hindu Hanuman temple. They take their sick child. They go to the priest. They say, please pray for my son. The doctors have given up hope. The doctors have said, it's just a matter of now, maybe days. And I'm going to give the death certificate, but I won't put the time and I won't sign and I won't put the date. There's no hope. And those guys come to art, come to the, the, the Hindu Hanuman temple priest. And the temple priest says, you want answers to prayer? You want miracles? Don't come here. Go to the top of the hill. And he refers them to Assembly of God Church in the top of the hill. And our pastors, I hope you're listening, pastors. Our deacons, I hope you're listening, deacons. Our elders, our prayer warriors, lay hands on that child. And that child is instantly healed. And another family comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes, yes. But here is the icing on the cake. The daughter of the Hindu Hanuman temple high priest. The daughter has come to faith in Jesus Christ. The daughter has taken water baptism. The daughter attends our church on the top of the hill. And once a month you will see an envelope in the offering bag which says from the Hindu Hanuman temple high priest trust fund tithes to the assembly of God church. Yes! Yes, come on. Give the Lord a mighty praise. Oh, yes. That's what happens when you invest in missions. They spoke the word of God with boldness, verse number 29 and 31. In my country, there are a lot of these truth seekers called sadhus. They roam around aimlessly searching for truth and peace in their soul. And some of them are able to perform all kinds of tricks and freaks. And through a process which they call levitation, they are actually, some of them are able to defy gravity and rise a few inches above the ground. Now, I don't know how they do it. I've never, never seen that. Some say it's witchcraft. Some say it's black magic. Some say it's a cheap magician's trick. I don't know how they do it. But they tell me, see, look what our gods can do. We can rise a few inches above the ground. What can your Christian God do? And to that I go, big deal. Why? Because one day, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, when time shall be no more, when the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall be gathered over on the other shore, when the roll is called up yonder, you and I are not going to be a few inches above the ground. We're going to be up there. Amen? We're going to be up there. Come on. I am not Waiting for the undertaker. I'm waiting for the upper taker. Amen. For the upper taker. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel of God and with, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remaining shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. But of course, pastor, I know how Christians are. I don't know how it is in Wisconsin. But they'll start arguing. Are you talking about the pre-trib rapture? Are you talking about the mid-trib rapture? Are you talking about the post-trib rapture? I mean, that argument is as old, old as the hill. Does the church have to go through three and a half years of tribulation before? Or will the church 
uh, I mean, before that, there's no, before anything, or oh, the middle of the thing, three and a half years, or the church has to go through seven years of tribulation. I mean, I went to Bethany Bible College many years ago where I met Laurie Pastor, and I remember I was working my way through college, and I would be, they called me the janitor. I said, excuse me, I am not a janitor. I'm a sanitary engineer. Thank you very much. I make 3.35 an hour. And I would see my friends arguing there. Pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip. Pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip. Solomon, Solomon, come here, come here. This guy says it's pre-trip, meaning the rapture will take before the tribulation. I say it's mid-trip, three and a half years. This guy says post-trip. What do you say? And I walk up to them and go, pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, pre-trip, mid-trip, Post-trip, who cares? Just make the trip. Just make the trip. Just make the trip. But of course, if you push me to the corner and you really press me, press me to the core, I'll say this. You want to go to the tribulation stuff, the beast, the false prophet, the antichrist, that 666 stuff, the bowls of wrath being unleashed on the planet Earth, the sun re- turning red, pink, and purple, and sun, moon, and stars falling on your head. Be my guest. You want to go through all that? Be my guest. Be first Lord. I'm out of here. Now you see me, now you won't. Here you have me, here you won't. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming forth to carry me home. I'm going to be with Jesus. Give the Lord a mighty praise. Wow. My time is up. Wow. How many will just give me five minutes to close? Will give me just five minutes to close. Don't clap. Just give me five minutes if you, if you can. Let me see your hands. Leave it, leave it up. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty. Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> Wow, three hours. What a church this is, Tammy. Look at this. I asked them for five minutes. They gave me three hours. How many will be with me for the next three hours? Let me see your hands. Because you can stay. Pastor and I are going for steak and lobster. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Who says we can't have fun in church? I close with my personal testimony. My father fled communist China during the communist takeover, and he joined the British Merchant Navy out of Hong Kong. The Japanese hit his ship, sunk his ship in the Indian Ocean. He landed in India as a refugee and he established Chinese restaurants. My mother fled from the nation of Bhutan. Her father was poisoned. She too landed in India as a refugee. They met in Calcutta, fell in love, got married. But in 1962, China invaded India and the Indian secret police came to our home in the middle of the night and took my father away to a concentration camp in Rajasthan, in the desert. I couldn't understand why Papa would leave us at 2.30 in the morning without saying goodbye. What puzzled me even more was the why we became so poor, the poor called us poor. Well, the authorities had seized everything. My mother was left only with the clothes on her back and it was tough. And she barely eked out a living. And in 1965, she died of a heart attack. I was about six years old. So with my father gone, My mother dead. I had no choice but to move into a slum with my half-brother and his family. If you've seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire, I was a slumdog without being a millionaire. And I lived in the slums of Calcutta with no running water, an outhouse, and under horrible conditions. Thankfully, my mother had enrolled me in the Mark Pantain school before she died. There received my education and there I received the only major meal I received all day I hated weekends I hated holidays because it meant no food imagine going to bed hungry every night imagine going to the community too well in the middle of the night to get some water to satiate your hunger 
obviously if you go drink lots of water you have to go somewhere else and consequently visiting that creepy dark outhouse was a huge challenge because of the vicious stray dogs barking outside and god only knew what was inside scorpions snakes centipedes millipedes furthermore my problem was compounded when my half brother took me to a horror movie called dracula after that visiting that outhouse at 3 in the morning was the most terrifying moments of my life my imagination would conjure up images of count dracula lurking in the shadows ready to pounce on me ready to bite and suck my blood out without proper sleep without a proper meal since the previous day's school lunch my morning classes were so painful so difficult it was hard to concentrate on my studies it was hard to comprehend the lesson it was very hard to stop my stomach from growling Oh, it was tough. It was very, very tough. So, due to the lack of food and the, uh, my growth was stunted. So, no sports for me. But I took part in every drama, every elocution, every debate, every poetry contest, whatever, where I could use this big mouth of mine to make up for the lack of food and clothes. I made up with what I did have, brains. So, I studied hard. I studied very hard. When electricity in our little slum home was gone due to the blackouts, I would take my books to the bus stop and I would sit on the sidewalk under a bus stand and a street lamp to study. Many times on many occasions I fell asleep right there on the streets. And because of my good grades, my friends would invite me to their homes to study. I always accepted their invitation because their moms would eventually say, "Hey Solomon, would you like to stay for dinner?" In my mind I'm like, why I thought you'd never ask as i grew up to my teens i had a voracious appetite one day at the school lunch just like oliver twist i walked back to the end of the line with my empty plate and i said please ma'am may i have some more please ma'am may i have some more and the lady looked at me very scornfully in a contemptible voice she said what do you think is this your father's food or what get out of here i said yes it is it is my father's food My father owns a cattle of a thousand hills and everything beneath it including you. I walked up to Halda Bantain's office and I reported that to her. And she called that server and she had a nice little chat with that server said if my son Solomon Wong wants food 10 times you will give it to him is that understood? After that I became the most popular kid in school. Everybody wanted to eat school lunch with me. It was amazing. But you know at least I had a place to get food. I could get extra helpings. I got love and education. Not everybody was blessed like that. I'll never forget one day on Sunday after I was getting ready to go to church I saw this small crowd gathered around a carpentry shop and there I weaved through the crowd and to see what is going on I saw this young man about roughly 17 18 years old very emaciated long hair dressed in rag no shoes his entire worldly possession was a small cloth bundle that he attached on his back he was hungry obviously very hungry he begged for wooden shavings on the carpentry shop and the wooden filings from that carpentry shop he collected the same and he took made a small bundle he took a match out of his bundle and he lit that on fire and on the top of the fire he he placed a big fat dead mole rat and began to roast it the stench was horrible it was unbearable it was obnoxious it was disgusting and the crowd shooed him away and this time again he went to the street corner he repeated the same procedure he made the wooden pile and again he lit that thing this time i was on, the only one following him and there again he began to roast that dead rat and subsequently 
he picked up that big dead rat and he began to eat it. Blood oozing from two sides of his mouth. I was so disgusted, I threw up right there on the sidewalk. It was such a horrible, horrible sight. I say this, no child should go to bed hungry. Not here, not there, not anywhere. And today I serve as Vice President of Convoy of Hope Feed One to make a difference in the lives of people. The Buntains made a difference in my life in a refugee son growing up in the streets of Calcutta. Do you know who supports that same feeding program where I receive food as a child? You guess right. Convoy of Hope. Is God good or what? Come on, don't just sit there. Give the Lord a mighty praise. Amen. It's my way of paying back and my way of paying forward. I say this. Pastor takes up a missionary offering, sends it to Springfield, Missouri, to our Assemblies of God headquarters and to Convoy of Hope. And you wonder, what happens to my missionary dollars after I invest that in missions? Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're looking at somebody whose life was touched firsthand as a result of people's investment in missions. And I have come to this great church to say thank you because missions works. God does greater things because greater is he that who is in me than he that is in the world. Thank you for your investment in the greater project. Thank you for investing in kingdom builders. Thank you for investing in missions. I'm a life that was changed. God bless you. Pastor.